Today, my guest was a high school dropout. He's an ex-con. He's also a pastor, a business owner, got an amazing Jesus story. He lost siblings to gang violence, and he's just got an incredible story of redemption, and you don't want to miss it. It's uh, a longer one, so we're going to do part one today of the background check on Kelby McNabb. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is J. Dan Gum, and this is is background check you already know let's go you can check my background i'm a forgiving felon so tell them that i won't back down now you can bet i won't live in regret it's time to earn some respect you are tuning in to background check hey everyone welcome to background check podcast where we believe your background shouldn't hold you back it should pay you back i'm your host jd and gum and it's great to be here for another week another amazing episode of background check where we dive deep into someone's story about how they did not let their background hold them back they're making it pay them back and so uh i love doing what i do every week we love the background check-ins uh if you are new to the podcast uh wherever you are outside of prison inside of prison Give us, send us a text, send us an email, you know, uh, let us know where you're listening from. And especially if you're in Texas, come on, Texas. I know uh, we're, we're, we're working through all of the units in Texas. I don't know how many's online yet, but I know we're waiting for some, some units that keep going on lockdown, I think, and staff shortages. So they can't get all the, the, the bandwidth and all the stuff, the software and all, whatever, whatever it takes to get the tablets rolling. So uh, anyway, and also, if you are in prison, wherever you are across the nation, and uh, and you have the ability to send a kite, I-60, whatever it is, into your chaplain, um, if they want to invite background check and forgiven felons to the unit to do a service, I got some worship teams, uh, mainly just in Texas, but I got some worship teams that can travel and uh, come in and do a worship night and uh, let me share a word. So uh, Kylie from the Murray unit, um, we we are in contact with the chaplain but we're gonna have to wait till she gets back i think so but we are we are we have started the ball rolling ramsey ramsey unit somebody said uh that i'm coming there to speak i i don't have anything lined up but if your chaplain wants me to uh let him uh, tell him to get in contact with me tell them to get in contact with me and i'll be glad to i'll be glad to come speak wherever just send us a note and uh if you know the chaplain's name we'll we'll contact them as well so uh, the show is brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their future, but also brought to you by Clarity Roofing and Solar. My good friend Joe, great friend, loves second chances, loves Forgiven Felons, uh, has a great roofing and solar company. If you need a free estimate uh, on the roof, call Joe today, 469-386-9116. Call him or visit clarityroofingandsolar.com, but call or text Joe Four six nine three eight six nine one one six. Tell him you heard it on Background Check podcast. He he's put a roof on for us before, and on our new house, we just got solar panels, and we are loving them. Uh, every day I get to look at the every day I get to look at the app and see what um, and see what how much solar we're producing and consuming, and it's causing us to like be careful what we leave on lights in the rooms, but. 
Uh, but now we're producing energy and selling it back to the grid. How great is that? Uh, so give them a call today and uh, if you need an estimate on your roof or if you were interested in solar panels or if you can get it all done at one time, that would be even better. So um, anyway, all right. I, I just want to get straight to the episode. Pastor Kelby McNabb. I, guys, I saw him on Facebook. I saw a post. Didn't know who he was before this post. And the post was him in a picture of the detective that was involved in one of his cases. And he was standing there with him. And it was just a neat post. And so I just said, man, I got to know more about this story. And we talked for a good almost hour and a half, but we're going to break the uh, episodes. We're going to break his story up in two episodes today and uh, is, is going to be about half of it and about 40 minutes long. And you're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. And um, I, the, the, the neat thing about it is he's a, he's a business owner now and he's a pastor. I mean, you don't see that very often anymore at all. Pastors, not, I mean, they're not going to be hired on staff to a church anywhere. And uh, so only by the grace of God and, and mercy and all that good stuff, all that supernatural stuff, uh, did that happen. So we dive deep into his story. And uh, here's part one of the Kelly, Kelby McNabb story. Kelby McNabb, welcome to Background Check Podcast. What's up, dude? Uh, are you ready for a background check? I am, man. Let's make it happen. Let's, let's, let's Everybody passes these background checks. These are not ones that disqualify <laughs> disqualify you from anything. These are the ones that actually propel you and propel your story of God's grace and mercy uh, out there into the kingdom. So uh, it's an honor. It's an honor to know you, man. I have to. I have to admit, you're one of the handful of peoples that I didn't know um, that I didn't know ahead of time that much before doing this interview, and uh, mm. but. I, but one of your posts on social media just really got to me. And, and, and we're going to talk about that and we'll talk about, you know, your whole story, but for my listeners uh, inside jail and outside jail and, and all across the nation, all across the world, we have people listening in Australia. What's up Queensland. Um, you know, tell, tell everybody who Kelby McNabb is today. Yeah, man. What's up guys. Um, So man, where do I start? So first of all, uh, I'm a entrepreneur, uh, I guess technically pastor, uh, husband, um, you know, uh, uh, just brother, son. Um, and, uh, today, man, I, it's, it's I'm not gonna lie, dude. It's really, um, it's really, it's really sweet. Um, I, I can't believe just where I'm at right now as, you know, far as running a business with, you know, over 20 employees, um, uh, you know, married to, my wife now who I've been with for going on six years. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and been, been at a church, a very local church for, uh, with a pastor that is very dear to my heart um, for the past six or seven years. In fact, that's where I met my wife at. Okay. Um, and then I started a youth ministry there yep. back you, in. You men take, out. you men take note, take note. That's he right. met his wife <laughs> at church. That's right. It's it, listen, that's the, I mean, it's not the reason why you should come to church. No, but, no, 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 I mean, no. There's no other better place. Your like, chances of it. your chances of landing a really good one increase yeah, 100%. exponentially. Yep, yep, yep. One hundred percent. And so, met my wife there. Been been here at, at Rejuvenate Church in Anderson, South Carolina, for the past six, seven years. Um, and uh, just kept wanting to serve and grow and asking God, God, how can I? 
what, what, what can I do to give back and started the youth ministry there and um, was youth pastor for a couple of years, then passed it on to a friend of mine who took over leadership. And then I stepped into a more of an online pastoral slash media director role um, at the church because it's just what I do as a career as well. And, and um, yeah, man, things have been straight thinking about starting a family this, this, this year, yeah. or next year. And so uh, now how getting, long have you been married to what's your, uh, what's your wife's name? Adrian. Adrian, her name's okay. Adrian. And how long? Yeah, have you been so there? we've. Yeah, so today is actually our anniversary day, the February twenty second. So okay, uh, so this pretty... is not now. We're not airing <laughs> this on the anniversary, but we're recording it on the anniversary. So happy anniversary! Thank you, brother. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I've been with her for uh, going on almost six years. Um, we dated for about two years and then got married. And uh, right after that, COVID hit. I mean, literally, as soon as we got back from the honeymoon, that's when that virus stuff just started going crazy. Well, at least you got to go on the honeymoon. uh, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It was great, too, because it was Hawaii. And as soon as we left Hawaii, they stopped taking people. They stopped taking planes and stuff. So it was was, was pretty awesome. Wow. Okay. So uh, planning on having a family. That's awesome. Now, how long have you been out? Out of uh, prison, well, how, old, man, how, how old are you now? I'm 29. All right, 29. All right. fixing to hit uh, so, decade three. That's good. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. So, how long have you been out of prison? Um, let me see. Since I was 18, 19, had a couple more, had a couple more visits to jail in the 20s. But okay. uh, I left, I left SCDC when I was, I believe, 19. Okay, and uh, and where was that? Yeah, so South Carolina Department of Corrections okay, down gotcha. in Columbia. Gotcha, gotcha. And, All right, uh, out there in the sticks. Man, man, did you have air conditioning? I think so. Uh, I, I I can't recall actually. Well, it if was... you didn't have it, you would remember how hot it is. Yeah, so, I can't... a lot of the prisons in Texas do not have air conditioner, and it is Jeez. so. Oh man, it's it's uh, it's inhumane. Some of them, uh, especially with Jeez. all the, the elderlies. So that's true. Okay. So, so, uh, you, you got out and you were done. When, when did you have, let's do this. When did you have an encounter with Jesus that changed your life? Yeah, man. So I believe really when I was 18, 17 or 18, sitting in a jail cell, uh, a pastor came in and visited me and shared the gospel with me. And I had already known about God and Jesus. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't ignorant. I knew I knew about a little bit about church. My grandmother took me, my mom took me um, to church. Um, and so I knew, but I just, I wasn't living it. And I wasn't, there definitely wasn't a relationship right, like that. Right. Um, and and that was when really things changed. Okay. All right. So uh, it had, had always been this good. You're a businessman, pastor, you're influencing and impacting so many people for the kingdom. But at one time you were influencing and impacting so many people for a different kingdom. Yes. Uh, so let's 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 go back in your background, man. What was what was life like growing up in uh, in, in your childhood, man? And when did you start getting in trouble and uh, things start to go awry? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm the oldest of seven boys. My mother. Um, all seven yeah, boys. All boys. All se- yeah. Wow. Seven boys. Right. She kept trying for the girl. It didn't. It never happened. Um, so oldest of seven boys. You know, my 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 dad, I, I never really knew. Um, wasn't around in in my life, at least growing up. 
Um, I, I probably didn't really meet him till my teenage years. And even then it was just very sporadic. He was in and out of, of prison himself trying to get his life together and things of that nature. And so I never really had that uh, male role model in my life. I had stepdads here and there, but um, they, they, it was never close relationships, right? Right. especially me being the oldest of seven. I, I always kind of just felt like the man of the house just naturally. And so man, me and my mom just, um, man, we have an incredible relationship. I love her to death. Um, she did her best to raise seven sons on her, basically on her own. I watched her hustle on the weekends at flea markets to make ends meet, watched her go through some very hard times. Um, you know, uh, we traveled a lot. We moved around a lot. You know, I can't, I've been to so many schools that it's, you know, it's crazy. I can't remember them all, but I visited a lot of schools kind of just during my, during my childhood. And, uh, was that hard on you? you? Well, it was, I I don't know if it's a gift, man, because now I'm sitting in a place where I'm like, wow, that wasn't really a a curse. That might've actually been a gift that was hidden Mm. because I got to see so much different stuff and get to step into so much new situations that it's not calluses, but it was skill being developed of stepping into a new environment and learning to just adapt over and over and over. And now I'm looking back on it. I'm like, wait a minute. Now that, that wasn't, I don't know if that was a bad thing. <laughs> so, so good, man. So good. Yeah. And so I don't and what, know. I, I and mean, where, where were you in the, uh, in the pecking order? You were the oldest you said? Yes, that's correct. I was the so, oldest. So you had a lot of responsibility. Did you feel the burden and pressures of maybe even trying to help raise, raise your, the rest of your brothers? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, there was definitely moments where I had to step up to the plate, but I never, it never crossed my mind at the time. I, it was just life. It was yeah. just the way things were. And I never thought myself was, um, thought of it as a burden or as something that was like, you know, I, I just, yeah. uh, it, it was at I the moment you. I was just like, okay, this is just life. This is family. Right. And so, um, when I got a little older, maybe, maybe, I started to kind of feel in that a little bit, but even then, I mean, I was so still rebellious and I mean, I remember watching my little brothers at a very young age, you know, while mom goes to work. Um, I remember just, just little things trying to do our best, but I was still very rebellious and in, in my nature and who I was, uh, during those years that, um, I, I, I don't know if I was even a good, uh, role model to help to help guide those guys at wow. the time to help guide wow. them and so um I, I, you know now did your mom really was was church party also bringing did y'all go to church so my mother was she grew up jehovah's witness right okay. and she um she had really bad experiences with religion um and with kind of her her church group you know they 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 kind of did not well they weren't very forgiving and they weren't very loving at least yeah. not towards her. And right. that, that's not what she received. And so she would bring me to church every now and then. I remember these moments um, in, in my life where, you know, we would we would go visit a church and um, it was never just nothing consistent. It was just like, to be honest, I don't know. Maybe it was just like a moment where we were really in desperate need of help. And yeah. um, this was this is who we could turn to. Right. Um, and then something, a, a relationship was formed with someone in the church and we just started coming regularly and, and then it, and then it would fall off. And, um, you know, I was so young at the time still that I, I really didn't comprehend a lot of what was going on. 
um, it was just like, oh, y'all guys got Xbox here, and and I just play <laughs> Xbox, um, and so I feel you on that. Yeah. So when did you start? Um, really, kind of. I mean, you said you were a rebellious kid anyway, and uh, as was I. I kind of started my my wayward uh, thinking at thirteen when I first mm. take, took a drink of alcohol. Yeah. Uh, so when did when did you start? Uh, kind of kind of veering off the real the you know the right path. Uh, as right as your mom would think it is at that moment, at that time, when did you start veering off and doing some, doing some things that you knew that would maybe dishonor her or you knew you weren't supposed to do uh, hanging around the wrong friends, all that. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely 12, 13, uh, you know, um, smoking black and milds, uh, you know, wanting to, you, on my on my father's side, I have other siblings. So in total, I have a lot of siblings. On my mother's side, I have seven. On my father's okay. side, there's like another six or seven as wow, well. Wow. And um, and so you know, I um, I was searching for so much significance at that age and wanting to be such a I don't I don't know. I was just wanting to be. I wanted to feel important. That I really started to fall in love with the idea of joining the gang, okay. the Blood Gang. Uh, my older siblings were already involved. And so I was really entertaining that idea in my head that this is going to be my ticket to, to make me important to some, some people to make me, you know, feel good about myself. And so I started dabbling with that around 12, 13, hanging around with the guys, with the, with the boys at the time that were also a little bit, uh, a little bit troublemakers. And, uh, man, that's, that's where it started. That's where the bad decisions started to get made. And, and, um, you know, BB guns started to get carried around and things like that. Little and so, yeah. We thought we thought we were so bad with our BB guns, didn't we? I know it. I know <laughs> it, man. It's so, terrible. So, uh, first brush with the law. Did that happen when you were in high school and shortly after yeah. hanging out with those yep. guys? Yeah. So, um, I mean, honestly, so right around so twelve, thirteen, we grew up. We were in. Section eight apartments in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, you know, we, my mother had just gone through a huge, uh, situation where we were, um, we were basically not allowed to live with her. And, um, I went and stayed with some family in Black Mountain, North Carolina, but I was so rebellious and so, um, I don't know what's the word, but, but, whatever, whatever it was, I had to eventually go into the foster program and, uh, at 12, 13 and got into a foster program with a, a family and stayed there for, for, I can't remember, maybe eight, eight months, nine, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that's really where it started to happen as well. Right around 14 though, I left that foster program, was able to go live back with my mom, uh, in these apartments in Asheville, and um, started smoking weed, you know, really started smoking weed. I, I, I enjoyed smoking weed a lot and started to really experiment with that. And um, I ran into the police. But this first encounter was a, a like a, um, a second chance encounter. He was like, give me the give me the weed. And he just dumped it out right there okay, in front of me gotcha. and said, you know, go back to school or go back to basketball, whatever you were doing. And so that was like a couple of first encounters. But okay. honestly, I've had plenty of encounters before that. They were just indirect, right? I remember one night, man, there was a huge shootout 
um, and my brother was involved on my father's side. He was very big in the blood gang and actually lost his life at 24 through a, um, a drive-by and involved in that kind of, you know, recklessness of that life. And, yeah. and so I remember um, there was a huge shootout one night in our apartments and they had police everywhere out with these, these M16s and the dogs. And they were telling everybody get in the apartment and stay in the apartments. And, and so I was always kind of um, indirectly running into these officials, these so law that, enforcement officers. So, so, so that kind of, that, those kind of moments were, were almost becoming normal for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 100 percent it it was no longer a surprise it was like oh this is just normal right it's not like if if it's gonna happen more like when it's when's the next time gonna happen yeah so when was the first the first big brush where you where you had to suffer some consequences yeah man so uh so here's what happened 14 years old i um i was getting into trouble i decided that i needed some money and my older brothers and and um uh, on my dad's side and some of the, some of the, some of the guys and, and would try to give me some money every now and then it wasn't enough. And and I wasn't doing chores and I didn't have a family that really had enough money to give me everything I wanted at the time. And so I was like, I, I need some money. I'm 14. And the only thing I knew at the time was selling drugs, selling dope. And so I tried to go pick up uh, my first pack crack cocaine for 50 bucks so I can flip it, turn it into 150. And um, at first I had to find out a way to get the, get the 50. And so um, I end up trying to sell basically fake crack, right? Cause th- wow. there was a bunch of, um, yeah, there's a bunch of um, addicts around the neighborhood and they would always, because I looked like a thug and I had my pants sagging and I, they would always come up to me and be like, Hey, I got 20. And I would always look at them like, what are you, what are you talking about? And then I realized at an age of like, oh, they were they were wanting to buy drugs. And so I wanted money. And I realized, okay, if these people keep approaching me, there's either two options. I can just rob them, you know, punch them, hit them, take it from them, or I can sell them something fake and then I get it. And so I went with the fake option. Wow. But here's here's what happened. Um, 14 years old, 15 years old. Um, I am now living in Asheville with my aunt because my mother had moved to South Carolina. I did not want to move with her down here. She moved down here with my stepdad. She had met him around that time and they were kind of starting life together. And I was like, well, I'm gonna stay up here. You know, I'll figure out a way, stay with my brother, stay with my aunt, somebody. And um, my aunt found that, that, that crack in my room. And I come home one day and she's just sitting in the living room and you look on her face. It's like, you, you got to leave. You got to leave. If they catch this stuff in my house, they're going to kick me out. They're going to kick my kids out and you got to leave, Kelby. We can't have this. So here I am, 14, 15, balling my eyes. I don't know what to do anymore. Wow. I, I just, you know, you know, I don't want to leave. My, my friends are up here. I'm in high school. Um, I'm feeling like life's kind of like good, even yeah. though it really wasn't. And um, I go to my grandmother and I tell her like, Hey, can you take me in? And she's like, no. Right. She's wow. like, I, I got to talk to Tim. I'm like, please take me in. She's like, okay, okay, I'll do it. But we got to talk to your, your, your grandfather. He's like, heck no, we ain't doing it. We ain't doing it. And she fought for me and fought for me and said, we got to take him in Tim. We got to take him. So they gave me a chance. They said, all right, here's the rules. Okay. You will not spend the night at no one's house. You will take drug tests every single month. You will make wow. honor roll. You will play on the basketball team. Um, you will be monitored. There will not be, when you have guests over, you don't shut that door. You leave that door open. And so it was very strict, but I had yeah. no options. I said, okay, I did it. And, um, uh, man, I, um, 
I, I stayed with her for a couple of months and did really well. I was on honor roll, basketball and doing all these things. I was still trying to sneak and smoke. Well, actually, did I smoke weed? I, don't, I can't remember. I think so. I might have. Uh, but I thought I would. There might have been a moment there where I was just really straight and narrow and doing good. Yeah. But I think um, I think towards the end of that, I got tired right around 15, 16. I got really tired of all the rules, you know, can't have my girlfriend over, can't do this, can't do that. And so I said, you know, what? I'm leaving. I'm done with this place. I'm leaving. I called up my mom. I said, I'm coming down to South Carolina with you guys. Can you guys take me? You have somewhere to take me. And she she couldn't. She they, they didn't have a, a nowhere to put me. And um, she said, but what we can do is we can we can buy a shed and put you out back. And I was like, that's fine. You know, we'll buy one of those little sheds you see on the side of the road. That's like rent to own. We'll insulate it, run a drop cord out there, get you electricity. And I said, OK, that's fine. And so I moved down here to Easley, South Carolina, 16 years old. I dropped out of high school, told my mom I didn't want to go back to high school. She was she was OK with that. I mean, I was the man of the house for my whole life, almost the oldest of seven sons. And so she was like, OK, you know, that's that's fine. But you're going to get your GED. OK, I was like, all right, sure, I'll work on that. But I dropped out of high school and that left me with nothing but time and boredom. And, mm. um, you know, come down here. My brothers were already down here, my young my younger brothers. So uh, which with two of them are locked up right now. But the, okay. the one um, he he introduced me to some of his friends. I get connected with them and we end up going somewhere and I get into a fight. You know, I get to within the first two weeks. I'm here like uh, I get to a fight. And the police take us to the freaking um, office or whatnot, or the, the department. They, 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 I don't know what they did. They let us go. And it might have been because we were minors, yeah. but they let us go. Um, and we went back home and everything. But that was my first encounter with, with the police down here. But that was just the beginning, dude. That was just the beginning. Right after that, we started drinking and, and partying a lot. And, um, smoking weed and then all of a sudden xanax gets involved i've never heard of xanax before so i'm now taking xanax and benzos and that stuff just it, it makes you feel like you're like no one can see you right. like you're invisible like you can do anything and you forget everything and so now i'm now i'm really out of my mind and we start breaking into things robbing things and um it 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 eventually gets so bad that they didn't catch us. They haven't caught us, but now the crimes are being reported all over the city of Easley. I mean, we've got, I went on one of the biggest police chases of my life on foot. I'll never forget it with one of my little brothers. I mean, they called out so many officers and canines. We were trying to break into this building. The police saw us on top of the roof. They said, Hey, y'all come down. We were like, okay, we're going to come down. Give us just five seconds. And we, we bolted, we took off. They called out the units, um, and it was a long two, three hours. And so we were getting in trouble, but we just wasn't caught yet. And they deployed a detective and that was detective Brandon, who you've seen mm. in that, that yeah. social media post. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, my first encounter with him was me a little drunk on four locos on the road with the boys. I have a, a bandana hanging out my right side. Um, and we were just very careless and tough. You know, we didn't care. We just, we knew the police was right there. We just walked right up to him. And was like, you know, what y'all doing? And, and they start talking and they're making me hold the bandana up and taking pictures. And I'm taking pictures because I don't care. And um, they kind of get a hunch that it, it's us, you know, yeah. that's doing all these crimes around the city. But they just haven't they just haven't been able to, to catch us yet. Well, they finally do. They finally do. In fact, here's how it goes down. We were breaking into so much stuff, even churches. 
We broke wow. in at least, I can't remember. It's been so long, probably a couple of different churches. And literally they sent in the last time they, um, they sent in a canine unit into the church to come attack us and, and get us out. Uh, it was just absolutely wild. I get locked up. I get charged with several burglary felonies, grand larcenies, a bunch of other stuff. And uh, now I'm sitting in jail cell at age 17 in Pickens County, South Carolina. Um, with I mean, This is my first time being locked up, trialed as an adult, and I have no idea what, what my life's going to be wow. like. And so that was the first time that really it got, it got bad. And then when your mom found out about that, what, I mean, do you, do you even know what her reaction to all that was? Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure it just broke her heart. Right. I mean, uh, I know that it was just like, this is not the direction that she wanted me to take. Um, and, and she loved me so much that she would do anything to help. And so fast forward, she bails me out. She bails mm. me out. She, she talks my stepdad into getting 1200 bucks and they bail me out and I'm out. I'm clean now for a couple months. And then I get right back into trouble. This time it's even more serious. Ooh. This time we have a girl run away with us and steal $60,000 from her parents. Um, and now we're running around with 60K cash with just a bunch of kids. Wow. And this girl is reported missing because her parents haven't found her in like a week or two weeks. And she's running around with us. And we got her hidden out in hotels and all these other things while we're spending all the money on dumb stuff. And so it, it was just, it was bad. And she knew that I was up to no good and she just really didn't want to see the worst happen to me. And so she would just, she would just try to tell me like, Hey, you need to, whatever you're doing, son, you need to make sure that like that, that this is the right direction. Yeah. Like, are you sure you want to live this life? And if you do, then, then you need to make sure if you get caught that, that you have things set in place or, you know, you know what to do. she didn't, she didn't approve of my life, but she knew that if uh, she wasn't going to stop me. And so right. she didn't want me to die or didn't want me to get really, really in serious trouble, but she knew she couldn't stop me. And so she just tried to talk to me. Like, if you're going to sell weed, don't be an idiot. Um, and, um, push come to shove. I end up getting caught again. And this time detective liner comes to my house. Um, because they caught the girl in Spartanburg and, uh, she just ratted on everybody, <laughs> told everything. And, and they just send out the, they send out the units to come to everyone's house, storm the house, get the people. And they pull up to my house surrounded. And I see detective liner with his gun and he's like, he's already been on my cases before. And he's like, um, Kelby, come with me. And I just, in my boxers, I got like, I got 28 grams of weed by my groin. Mm. For some reason I knew they were coming. And uh, I don't know why I grabbed the weed, I guess, because I didn't want them to find it in the house and charge me for it. So the best solution was to grab it and hide it next to my groin, which, by the way, they never caught. Even when they checked me in the jail, they put me in the jail cell with it right there. I just wow. flushed it all down the toilet. Um, but the point is, we get there and, and now detectives like, man, like you are really about to get in some big trouble. Like you're, you're looking at 15, 20 years. And he sits me down in the interrogation room and starts talking. And um you know, he starts sharing with me just a heart to heart. Like, Kelby, what's like, what's going on? You're 17, 18. You're doing all this. You don't look like a bad guy. Da da da. And man, in that conversation, I just real, I reckon his necklace slipped out of his collar and I seen the cross at the end of it. 
And um, I just kind of looked at it and looked at him and I just asked him, like, you know, why do you want to help me? And um, I don't really remember much after that. I just remember, you know, him going to the judge and telling her, like, hey, give, give him another chance. Um, let him out. And uh, wow. I don't know if she did that time or not. I can't. It's so hard recalling all this, but yeah, I do remember yeah, yeah. this. The, the judge did not did not let me out. Well, she was like, every time we let this kid out, he gets back into trouble, him and his crew. And so we're going to sit him in this jail cell until he learns his lesson. So here I am still 17. Now I'm charged with like six, seven felonies. They all carry 10 to 15 second degree burglaries, accessory after the fact of first degree burglaries. Um, dag, um, I don't know what charges they gave the, 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 the guy that was with the girl at the time that ran away from her, from her home and was reported missing, but it was just grand larcenies. And, and so it was just really bad, dude. It was, it wasn't looking too good. And so here I am sitting in this cell, no bail, my mom's heartbroken. She don't know what to do. Um, I'm contemplating like, what is, you know, is this, is this what life's about? My brother's already locked up. The other one's already locked up. And, and, um, I get a, I get a, uh, I get a guard that comes in and says, Kelby, you got a visitor. And so I'm like, oh, we got a visit. It's not visitation day. So I don't, mom didn't tell me she was coming up here. And, and so I go to the visitation room and there's, uh, there's this bald headed white dude on the other end of this fenced in glass. Never met this man before in my life. So I'm sitting down. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of confused. I'm like, who, who is this guy? Uh, and he, and he tells me, Hey, Hey Kelby, my name is pastor Jason. Um, you know, I, I, I I heard about your situation and I just want to come up here to talk to you, see how you're doing, um, get to know you. And he starts talking to me a little bit and sharing with me and just expressing his concern for just my well-being. And then inevitably the conversation of Jesus arises and I kind of stop him a little bit. I'm like, yeah, but you don't, you, I know he's real. I know Jesus is real. I know God's real, but, but like, I literally broke into churches like I, you probably know the pastors of the churches I broke into, try to steal their TVs, destroy their youth buildings, like just 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 didn't care. Um, and he's like, yeah, I know that's crazy. That's bad. But have you ever heard the story of, of Paul? And uh, he begins to share with me the story of Paul and how Jesus changed Paul's life and how Paul started off as Saul persecuting Christians and just trying to you know, destroy the church and like in my situation, but God used him and made him one of the apostles of our, you know, Christian faith today. And he literally used him to almost write half the new Testament as well. And he shared that story with me, man. And all I remember is just being in tears and really feeling now I can look back on it and say that really the Holy spirit did something amazing in that moment because hope got deposited into my, my heart. I was like, maybe, um, Maybe if God can do it for that guy and, and and maybe if God really is like Pastor Jason is saying that there is still hope for me like this, regardless of the 10 to 15 years that they're talking about and this and, and not situation that th- this can change, that I don't have to be like this. And so he gives me this new believers Bible and I go back to my jail cell and, and I start reading. I just start reading it. I just open it up and start reading crazy stuff. And I'm like, God, help me this time to um to not just believe, but like to put this into practice. Right. And so I, you know, I began reading and I remember one time reading, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you, when you give. And I was like, I, how can I practice this in here? And there was a lot of meth addicts that came into this particular jail. Um, it was very, uh, 
it was it was filled with a lot of drug addicts and so they would come in skinny been up for four days and so i would um literally just sneak noodles at night and go and um put hide it under their bed and wow. uh they wake up in the morning and they'd see have some noodles or something that they can um eat and uh you know, the, that was the, me the, trying the ramen, to, yeah. The, the ramen noodles. Just yeah, the ramen, the ramen noodles, noodles man. Yeah. Those things are like gold back there. Yeah. And so that was me trying to show God, like, hey, God, I am willing to do this for real. Like, so um, not just talk about it, but actually give myself over to it. And um, that was the first real encounter, but it it, it definitely doesn't, doesn't end there. I still had to go through a little bit of a journey. Um. But yeah, man, that was like my first big encounter with uh with the police and with so, Pastor Jason and the Ted. Def- so from there, what was what was the disposition of your case? I mean, what was the sentence? Uh, did you go to prison from there? And uh, and then and then let us know how prison how prison went for you. Yeah, so I mean, I'm in there, no bond. They're just telling you like, wait for your court date. The good thing is you are 17. I literally had my 18th birthday in there, and um. So that was kind of in my favor. This was considered my first offense on paper right. um, because I haven't been tried for anything and convicted of anything. And so I go in front of the judge and they give me, they offer me the Youth Offender Act, um, the YOA program. And uh, everyone's like, you know, it's a great program to take, but if you mess up, they're going to come for you. Mm-hmm. Like it's a mandatory 13 months back down the road. So you're going to be on parole for five years and they're going to strictly watch you. And so I take that program and um, I get sent down the road, I think, for six months um, down in uh, Columbia, Kirkland, actually. And yeah, I mean, I had to fight a couple of times because here's the thing. The young boys are the worst, man. Like I would much rather be with uh, kind of the older guys chilling, just doing our time, trying to be better. But the young boys are so bored, full with so much testosterone and just like it's just ignorance and no care that it's just drama everywhere we go. So I'm not going to lie, half the time I felt like the unit was on lockdown. Wow. For real, just for just for random stuff, because that's how they would group us up anyways, was by our age. And I guess if you were affiliated with a gang, they would try to segregate you to different places. But for the most of the time, it was by our age, especially in the Youth Offender Act. And so um, it was it was it was tough. But. I really stayed to myself, man, a lot. I really did. I stayed to myself. I read a lot um, and. uh you know, had a had a made a couple of friends back there just to help pass time, and you know, it's just naturally gonna occur being around your roommate or yeah. room dog for so long. Uh, but that was it. I mean, um, I just yeah, it's like a, it's like a big blur just of yeah. just wasted time looking at the same old stuff, same shower, same walking the line to chow. Just this, yeah. it, it was just. A big so it's so everything is so methodical, mechanical, routine. Yeah, and, uh, and if you don't purposely, intentionally uh, use your mind to yeah. grow, grow and develop, then then that place places like that can just really do some damage to your to your mental uh, your mental yeah. health and uh, and 100%. your and your relational health as well. So uh, all right, so you get out of there, and then life's all good after that, right? Yeah, I, I wish, man. You know, I get out of there. I come home and they're like, all right, Kelby, 
here's the second chance, buddy. Five, you're on five years parole, meet your new parole officer. Um, and you walk this line and um, you're going back to stay with your mom. And so I, I, I go back and I'm trying my best now to, to be a different person, right? I am still staying in touch with that pastor that visited me. I'm not showing up to church, but I'm reaching out to him every now and then like, hey, I, I got a couple questions about this and a couple questions about this. And um, I would go visit his his church every now and then and uh, with my girlfriend. And um, but I wasn't it wasn't a personal relationship. Right. It wasn't it wasn't real, really. Re- it was a real moment that I had in that jail cell with him, but I did not. I did not do my part on continuing in that relationship and in that walk. And so when I got out, I just thought, okay, I'm just going to get a job and not do drugs and I'll be good to go. So I got a job at Jersey Mike's and worked my way up to shift supervisor at Jersey Mike's sub shop and was doing good and bought myself a little dirt bike. And, um, you know, life seemingly was going well. And then, and then I started drinking, you know, started drinking and drinking led to just bad decisions, hanging out, partying. And then um, and then I lost my little brother. He was 16 years old. Um, I had already lost the other brother, my oldest brother, who I'd stayed with in Asheville to gang violence. He got shot in the heart and uh, on drive-by. And now my little brother has, you know, it, it's so crazy because I was the one to uh, – run up on his car that he wrecked um, that night where the fire department was there. I just knew something was wrong in my heart and mind. And I I told my girlfriend, we got to go and uh, we got to go find him. And uh, they had this road blocked off and I knew something was bad. And so I just, I didn't care if they blocked it off or not. I drove right by him and went down it. And I realized that that was my little brother. And he had, he had died that night and he was 16. There might've been alcohol involved. I, I don't know. I remember a detective talking about it. I never looked into it further just for the sake of peace for myself and my family. And um, that, that was tough. I remember just like, geez, I mean, it was just, gosh, it was such a freaking moment in life that I was just like, this is just, it's just, a, just like, when does it get good? When does yeah. it get better? And so I started drinking some more, man, and just headed down the route of not caring a little bit and being still reckless. And next thing you know, Xanax comes back in the picture. And now I'm drinking and taking Xanax and I'm hanging out with these guys in Clemson. I'm night. I'm how old am I at this point? I think I'm 21. Yeah, 21 years old. And um, I get a DUI. Great. Now here I am, uh, convicted felon uh, on parole, and I got a DUI. This, this ain't good. But DUIs apparently aren't as worse as some of the other stuff I did, and they just let me right back out. It was $650. Yeah, $650 fine or something. They let me right back out. And so I get out, and um, I uh, I start drinking again, and uh, I get another DUI. So now I got two DUIs, and um, it gets worse. I didn't learn my lesson again. I'm drinking, driving again, and this time I'm I'm I hit and run. I hit someone. Oh man, jeez, yeah, I hit someone and take off running, uh, in my car with the bumper hanging off, and I pass out in the park in the driveway at my mom's house. And police mm-hmm. just roll up. My car's still running. My bumper's hanging off. I'm just intoxicated, Xanaxed out of my mind, barely can remember anything, 
and uh, they charged me for hit and run and a, another DUI. And so I'm like, gee, that's three DUIs and a hit and run. I'm, it's my third year, fourth year of parole, convicted felon. Like, what's going on? And um, I totaled my car, gave it back to the dealership that I bought it from or the people that the whatever, whoever I was, you know, renting, buying the car from. They came and got it. I have no car now. I, I don't know how I still have a job at Jersey Mike's. If, if I do, I don't know. I don't, actually, I don't think I have a job at Jersey Mike's no more at this point. No. Um, now I'm working at other places and yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm working at a, um, a plant, a big plant where I got a great job at and, uh, man, I'm coming in drunk. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the supervisor stops me and says, Kelby, you gotta go back home. Wow. Yeah, go back home tonight because I know you've been drinking. And he did it. For, they put me on probation. The HR, they worked with me. The the daggum, the the next guy under the plant manager loved me so much. He would call me in his office and he would tell me, look up these Bible verses. He's like, go tell your shift supervisor that I told you I want you to go look this up. Wow. And he's a pastor now. And he actually officiated my wedding, which is so beautiful because wow. he, yeah, which is so beautiful because he was, he was one of the guys in my life that was like, what well, you're. You have so much potential. He believed in me so much that um, when I first got that job, I was trying my best so hard to be to be to be the best, to be yeah. good, and um, and to and to care about others and to care about the company. And he's seen that, and he really seen that. And and he said, Kelby, I'm going to send you to Romania on a special work trip for six weeks, where you get to kind of go to the mother plant and learn from them. And he he paid for that whole trip, flew me to. I've never been I've never been out of the country before, and this was just such an incredible experience. I'm a young man, 21, 22 years old, and um, so here I am. Got this great job. I got three DUIs, a hit and run. I'm a convicted felon. I'm on year four of parole, and it. I lost my little brother. My mother doesn't know what to do. And I don't know what's going on. I swore I had a. Uh, uh, I swore I gave my life to Jesus, and things were supposed to get better. Yeah. Here we are, and it doesn't end there. I literally, um, one last time, my friend hits me up and says, "Hey, it's my birthday." Okay, so we all know what happens after that, right? B- birthday. What happens on birthdays if you're still out there in the world and wild and and partying? So um, you have to tune in next week to hear what happened on his birthday. And uh, but man, so far, are you enjoying his story so far? I know we haven't got too much into the. You know, the redemption part of his story. We talked a little bit about who he is now at the beginning, but man, this, uh, it's got a great ending. So you want to tune in next week. But, um, let this goes to show you, man, no matter, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, who you've been with, no matter what jail, prison, no matter what doesn't matter, God's got a plan for your life. God's got a church, part of the body of Christ that will accept you. Uh, even if you're called to be on staff somewhere. He can make it happen. He made it happen with Kelby and he made it happen with rejuvenate church and he can make it happen with you, you know, and listen, I don't care if you're sitting in prison, life in prison, you could be a pastor in prison. All right. So no matter what, uh, make sure you share this episode with somebody if it's impacted you and, uh, and uh, touched your heart so far, but man, don't miss next week. The ending of his story is just incredible. All right. Well, let's lift him up and everybody else in prayer. Father in Jesus name. I thank you for uh, for Kelby. And I thank you for who he was, who he is and who he's going to be. 
Thank you that you've got your hand on his life. The anointing is on him to, to help people, to help change people's lives. So we ask you to give him everything he needs in business, in re- relationships, in his his marriage. He said they're trying to they're 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 having a baby. They're they're wanting to start a family, Lord. So just be all up in that. And we thank you for the McNabb family, Lord. Thank you that there was a woman that you had set aside for him, and uh, and that that they're just an amazing kingdom power couple. Lord, I pray for everyone who's listening all over the world, in jails, in prisons. I pray for everyone right now in Jesus' name. I I come against doubt. I come against low self-esteem. I come against uh, self uh, low self-confidence, and I just speak speak Christ over these people that might be doubting whether they have anything to offer you in the kingdom and in ministry. The devil is going to try to play down their gifts, their talents. He's going to try to disqualify disqualify them. But thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be fully equipped and, and qualified for anything to serve you. We love you, Lord. And uh, we just lift everyone up to you, all the listeners everywhere. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> all right. We'll see y'all next week. And thanks again for listening and spread the word. And uh, also, if you're listening from jail and you haven't already written in, write us and tell us where you're listening from. If there's an episode that impacted you, let us know so we can forward that to the guest. Um, so, yeah. Y'all have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday Background Check-In. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast. Brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.